This is James Coover with K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat and Southland District with their Extension Crop Report. Although the corn is still in its final grain filling stages and soybeans are just beginning to fill pods, it is about the right time to think about wheat planting. While wheat doesn't have the herbicide-resistant genetic array that corn and soybeans do, there is still much to consider about variety selection. K-State and Oklahoma wheat breeding programs have a number of new varieties that have been developed over the past few years to replace the older varieties with newer resistances to wheat diseases. There are plenty of private companies with newer varieties and improved yield and disease resistances as well. The variety of trials and experiment stations across the state monitor how these varieties do out in the field, a few of them here in southeast Kansas alone. The 2019 and the 2020 results are organized in a newly available magazine on the K-State Extension website or at the local extension offices. The variety pots at the Southeast Agricultural Research Center in Parsons did very well this year and had some good yields. The yields were consistently in the 70s and 80s for many varieties, with good test weights as well. The Parsons Research Fields also was the only location in the state that plants soft wheat varieties. These plots did excellent as well, with yields consistently above 100 bushels per acre. As far as K-State varieties, we tend to plant a lot of Everest around here. While this has been a staple variety for many years, and logically so with its decent disease package and consistent yield. However, we have a couple of new varieties to choose from that are the progenies of Everest with better resistances to certain types of rust. There are a few herbicide-resistant wheat varieties available as well. A couple of these include the Clearfield varieties that are resistant to Isomox and Coaxium varieties that are resistant to Quasalflob. Both of these herbicides are used to control certain types of annual grasses that can be a problem in wheat. Here in this area, we tend to have a lot of issues with Italian ryegrass that perhaps these herbicide traits can help with. There will likely be another report later on more specifically towards the dealing with Italian ryegrass due to it becoming a real problem around here, as it seems to be developing some resistances to herbicides. If you are interested in hearing from the K-State Wheat Specialist, the wheat tours from this spring were recorded and available at the K-State Research and Extensions website. There was a virtual wheat tour recorded for Parsons trials, and this is a great way to hear directly what sort of varieties were tested. However, if any producer plans to use their own bin-run wheat this year instead of buying new seed, it is highly suggested to get it tested by the Kansas Crop Improvement Association for germination, and if there is any questions about storage or age of the seed, the accelerated aging test as well, also known as the stress test. It's a good idea while doing this to get a seed count as well. If you have any questions about wheat variety information or getting a sample sent off to the Kansas Crop Improvement Association, please give me a call at 620-724-8233. This has been James Coover with your Extension Crop Report. Next up, we'll have Wendy Powell, Livestock Production Agent for the Wildcat District. Hi, this is Wendy Powell, your Livestock Production Agent from the Wildcat Extension District. What's the difference between organic and natural on our meat labels? Grocery stores, restaurant menus, and even the media around us often contain claims of natural or organic, but what exactly does this mean? Dr. Janelle Yancey, a meat scientist at the University of Arkansas, has an easy to read and factual blog called Moms at the Meat Counter. 
Organically raised livestock must be in compliance with the National Organic Program rules. This program is managed by the USDA to certify producers as organic. To be labeled as organic, the animal must only be fed organic feed and allowed to graze only organically managed pastures. They are not to be given hormones or any other growth promoting agents and only allowed to be given vaccines when they are not sick. There's also a requirement that they be allowed access to outdoors. Certified organic producers are subject to audits by the program. In order to place the USDA organic seal on the label of any product, it must be made with 95% or greater organic ingredients. Meat labeled as organic is very expensive because it costs a lot to produce. Organic is often confused with natural. According to USDA Food Safety and Inspection Service, a product with the word natural on the label must be in quotations, a product containing no artificial ingredient or added color and is only minimally processed. Minimal processing means that the product was processed in a manner that does not fundamentally alter the product. The label must include a statement explaining the meaning of the term natural, such as no artificial ingredients or minimally processed. The term natural refers to the meat itself and how it was processed. It has nothing to do with the way the animal was raised. So, natural is pretty open-ended. It usually comes with other claims like no antibiotics added or maybe grass-fed. Other than that, it's pretty similar to all the other meat you see. Realize that antibiotics have regulations for food animals that all producers must follow, natural or not. Meat labeled as natural or organic is not any better or worse than any other meat you may find in a grocery store or restaurant. It has the same level of safety and nutritional value as conventionally grown, non-specific labeled meat. I think Dr. Janelle Yancey, meat scientist at University of Arkansas, says it best when she says, I just tell people, eat what you like, and when it comes to food labels, know what you're paying for. The USDA has a nice website explaining requirements for the several phrases we see on meat labels. For more information, give me a call at the Wildcat Extension District, 620-784-5337. Thanks, Wendy. And now, here's David Scrantz, natural resource and diversified ag agent, with her report. This is David Scrantz, one of the agriculture and natural resource agents from the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District of Crawford, Labette, Montgomery, and Wilson Counties with your K-State Research and Extension report. Habitat is a combination of food, water, shelter, and space arranged to meet the needs of wildlife. Even a small yard can be landscaped to attract birds, butterflies, beneficial insects, and small animals. Trees, shrubs, and other plants provide shelter and food for wildlife. The plants you use for food and cover will help determine the wildlife species attracted to your backyard. Nesting boxes, feeders, and watering sites can be added to improve the habitat. Planning is necessary for attractive and productive wildlife habitat. You have both a horizontal area to work with, the size of your backyard, 
as well as a vertical area that stretches from the soil to the treetops. The vertical area is composed of the canopy formed by the tallest tree branches, understory vegetation consisting of smaller trees, shrubs, and vines, the floor which is often dominated by low-growing ground covers, and the basement where a variety of organisms exist in the soil. Different wildlife species live in each of these zones, so numerous habitats can be provided on a small piece of land. Trees and shrubs are the backbone of any landscaping design and are important for wildlife shelter. Many trees and shrub species are excellent sources of food for wildlife. Proper selection of plant material can meet both the aesthetic needs of the homeowner and the food and shelter requirements of wildlife. Clean, fresh water is as important to birds, bats, butterflies, and other wildlife as it is for people. Water in a saucer, bird bath, or backyard pond is adequate for wildlife. Be sure to change the water every few days to keep it fresh. In hot weather, it may be necessary to refill the container daily. Logs, rocks, and water-holding structures provide drinking and basking habitat for turtles, butterflies, and songbirds. Stones with depressions that collect water will help attract butterflies. Squirrels, chipmunks, rabbits, raccoons, opossums, skunks, woodchucks, mice, and deer are commonly found in many urban environments. These species are highly adaptable and in many cases are becoming unwanted visitors rather than welcomed guests. As with all wildlife, cover is essential for the survival of these species. Small brush piles intended for amphibians and reptiles will also provide shelter for rabbits and mice. Chipmunks and woodchucks are adept at digging their own burrows. Trees may provide shelter for squirrels, raccoons, and opossums. From the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District, this has been a Dave Strance with your K-State Research and Extension Report. Thank you, Adavin. And now, here is Jesse Gilmore with his report. With K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District, this is Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's Hort Report. People have been calling in with questions about bare spots in their yards, wondering what to do to get grass growing. Grass is either a cool season species or a warm season species. Warm season grasses, such as Bermuda grass, put out their primary growth in the summer and will need full sun, suffering in the shade of trees and buildings. Cool season grasses, such as the fescues and Kentucky bluegrass, put out their primary growth during the spring and fall and will require less sun. Often, calls into the extension office will ask why there are bare spots in shady spots of the yard. The first thing to check is the shade situation. If your bare spot is too shady, it will need to be seeded with a cool season grass. Cool season grass should be seeded at the beginning of the fall, near the end of September or beginning of October. The primary cool season grasses used in lawns in southeast Kansas are tall fescue, fine fescue, and Kentucky bluegrass. Cool season grasses will require more water during hot spells in the summer, but tall fescue will require the least water of the three. The Alliance for Low Input Sustainable Turf, or A-List, has tested varieties of tall fescue, fine fescue, Kentucky bluegrass, and perennial ryegrass for reduced water and fertilizer needs during the growing season, as well as increased tolerance for disease and insect pressures and foot traffic. 
Using one of these varieties for seeding your lawn will reduce the maintenance you will need to give your lawn during the summer. Established cool season lawns should be fertilized at the same time new cool season grasses should be planted at the end of September or beginning of October. Cool season grasses need two to three fertilizer applications depending on soil nutrient levels. The fertilizer should be applied in September, November, and then an optional application in May, depending on the quality needs of your yard. If you do not know your current soil nutrient levels, you will need a soil test to determine what to apply. K-State Extension offers two different soil tests for lawns. The first tests for soil pH, phosphorus, and potassium, while the second tests for these, plus nitrogen and organic matter. Nitrogen is the most important nutrient for healthy lawns, so test number two is recommended. To take a soil sample, gather small handfuls of soil from different parts of your yard to create a representative sample, and place them into a gallon Ziploc bag. Call your local extension office to bring the sample in and ship it to the soil testing lab on campus. Once the lab has tested for nutrient levels, the agent will get a report and then make recommendations for fertilization based on that report. The K-State Extension Master Gardener program is currently taking applications for fall 2020 training. In the Wildcat District, trainings will be held completely online each Thursday from 1 to 4 via an app called Zoom. Cost for the program is $60. For more information, contact me at 620-724-8233 or at jr637 at ksu.edu. The deadline to sign up for Master Gardener training is August 27th. Once again, this has been Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's Hort Report. Thank you, Jesse, and thank you for listening to K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District Ag Team on KGGF 690 Radio.